Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au At John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 6. It's good. We had that in the Italian service, so it's always a good sign. John chapter 14, verse 1. The Bible says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that every time we open up the scriptures, uh, you speak so, Lord, we just pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation this morning. That your word uh, speak into our lives, Lord God. Uh, bind every distraction in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of fear and intimidation would come against it in Jesus' name. Let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word, Lord God, I pray. Forgive me of my sins. Father, let us know you in a greater and deeper way today, I pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Um, We're in a series entitled uh, Tools uh, for Life. Uh, We're saying just like a a, a chef needs a knife to do their job, a carpenter needs a hammer, a doctor a stethoscope, so too in life there are certain tools, qualities, uh, attributes that are going to help us live the kind of life that God has intended us to live. Key verse for the series comes out of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And, it, and the end of it says, And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Paul here isn't talking about um, uh, the Olympics. He's speaking about life and he's saying our life is like a race. There is a specific race marked out for us. There is a unique purpose for our lives so let's throw off the stuff that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race that is marked out for us question is how how can we live out the life that God has called us to live well if we're going to run the race that God has called us to live we need some tools some attributes some qualities last week we looked at the first one it's called vision Uh, We unpacked uh, that whole concept of vision and the scripture in Proverbs that says, without a vision, the people perish. Without a revelation of God, the people cast off restraint. Today, I want to look at another important tool, another important quality, and that is the tool of conviction. If we're going to be everything God has called us to be, we need to be people of conviction. Conviction is defined, among other things, as a state of being convinced. It's a fixed, strong belief. 
It's a strong belief. Our beliefs are crucial. What we believe is extremely important in life. What we believe about God is extremely important. If we believe that God is an angry God, we're going we're gonna to be cautious in approaching him. But if we, if we believe that God is a loving God, if we believe that, that God is a God that cares, if we believe that he's a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, if we believe that he's a light in the darkness, we're going to approach God in a completely different way. What we believe about God is extremely important. What we believe about ourselves is extremely important. If we believe that we're a waste of space, if we believe that we've got nothing to offer, it's going to affect how we live our lives. Our beliefs are crucial. Our convictions, our strong beliefs are extremely important. It comes from the Latin word conviction. It comes from the Latin word convictus, which means proof. It's when something was proven to be true, then you base your whole life according it. If it's true, it's been proven to be true, then it's something that you can stand on. And if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, we need to be a people of conviction. Convictions are not the same as opinions. A lot of people have opinions. Opinions come and go. But convictions are deeper. They're not easily formed and they're not quickly formed and they're not easily broken. Alamiah says, an opinion is just an idea that you pick up and carry around, but a conviction is more than that. It's an idea that picks you up and carries you around. It's much deeper. It affects our lives. Convic uh, convictions affect every area of our lives. They affect how we think, how we speak, the relationships that we, we pursue, the kind of people that we allow to influence our lives, the decisions that we make. All of these are based on our convictions. We saw the power of conviction this week when the Essendon CEO resigned because of his faith. He had a conviction about his faith. He had a conviction about his faith in God. And that caused him, that influenced a decision that he, that he made about his employment. Convictions. Paul says in Romans, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, don't stand on the fence. Don't be double-minded. Be someone who's clear about what you believe to be true. Be a person of conviction. Look throughout the Bible and you will see that everyone that was used by God were people of convictions. People who had fixed, strong beliefs. Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's not we might serve the Lord. It's not we'll see how things go. No, we're going to serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if things are going well, if things are not going well. If we understand God, if we don't understand God, if we, if we, we think what God is doing is good. No, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He had a conviction about serving God. Paul said in relation to his suffering, he said, I know whom I have believed. I just love that. I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I'm convinced of this. I know who I have believed. I'm not, I'm not ambiguous about who I've, who I've believed. I know who God is and I'm convinced that he's going to keep or guard what I have entrusted to him. The Bible says about Daniel and Daniel resolved. I love that word resolved. Daniel was a man of conviction. 
Daniel was a man who lived at a time in, in, in Babylon where he was surrounded by, by different ideas, by, by ungodliness, by, by idol worship and so on and so on. But he was a man of conviction. More than ever in our society today, what we need is a people of God that are a people of conviction. Can I hear an amen? And I love this because Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. The convictions that he had influenced, the convictions that he had were so powerful and so strong, they influenced the kind of food that he ate and the kind of things that he drank. How powerful were those convictions? Our convictions can have a powerful influence in our lives. We're living in an age today where the pillars and the values of our society have shifted. And what concerns me is not what's happening in the world, but what's happening in the church. But the benefits, the truths, the principles that have guided the church are being eroded. Once upon a time, it was clear that was what was right and what was wrong. People believed in things like absolutes and standards and truth. Today, those words have been replaced by words like political correctness and, and tolerance. We need to tolerate everybody except Christians. You know, and, 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 and you know, but the question is, uh, are we living in the last days? Well, I, I think we're living in the last days. How do we know we're living in the last days? Because the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well in our midst, especially in our nation. We saw another example this week of that. And here is the thing. As we get closer to the return of Christ, Church is going to come under attack like never before. We're not, Christians are not going to be crucified on a cross, but there are different ways that we can come against the church. Can I hear an amen? And more than ever, our convictions are going to be tested. You're not going to be, how to be able to have superficial convictions in, 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 in the world today. Oh, that's not going to help you in, in, in today. We need to be a people of conviction. Here's the thing. If we're going to run the race marked out for us, be who God has called us to be, live the life God intended us to live, we need to be a people of conviction, strong-held beliefs. I was in Kmart yesterday. Does anybody else feel like the world is going crazy? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. Walked into Kmart and, and all the stuff of Halloween is there. The first thing that hits you, smack, smack in the face, boom. And I'm thinking, what is going on in the world today? What, what is happening when, when we as a world are going to glorify evil? What, what, what is happening? What is happening? And let's target the children because that's going to be really, really good for them and for our society. And people think that Christians have lost it. <laughs> More we look, the more our convictions line up with God's word, the more effective we will be. The more our convictions line up with the word of God, the more effective we're going to be in running the race that God has marked out for you and for me. So what I want to do today, I want to do th three things. First, we're going to look at how the world develops their convictions. Then I'm going to tell you how we ought to base, what we ought to base our convictions on as a church. And then I want to give you some convictions that have helped guide me, guide my life over the years.
You looked at your notes, you've seen 15 of them. You haven't got any plans after this, have you? You haven't got any plans? Good. It's going to be here for a while. <laughs> there are a few ways that people determine what's right and wrong. The first way is through a philosophy called moral relativism. Moral relativism. Moral relativism is the view that ethical standards, morality and positions of right and wrong are culturally based and therefore subject to a person's individual choice. Put simply, people make up their own choices about what's right and wrong. You choose what's right for you, I'll choose what's right for me. There are no universal rights and wrongs. There are no universal standards. You decide what, what's right for you and I'll decide what's right for me. Moral relativism. And all that sounds really good until someone steps on our toe. <laughs> and when they step on our toe, then suddenly we become really clear about who's right and who's wrong. What is right and what is wrong? Hmm. Second way that we can determine right from wrong is through situational ethics. Situational ethics says that what is right and wrong depends on the situation. It says that there are no absolutes, there are no universal right and wrongs. Again, it really depends on the situation. Um, and again, you can kind of see um, the, the shortcomings of this way of thinking. Because um, the problem becomes if, if I think what, what, what I think is right in a situation may not be what you think is right in a given situation. Um, and so as soon as... We don't, we don't agree, we're going to have some challenges. There are some people doing some very evil things in the world today because they believe it's okay to do those things. Situational ethics. Third way that we can determine what's right and wrong is by the majority. People often say, but everyone's doing it, but everybody's got one. No one believes that anymore, Pastor Joe. I know what you're saying. I know what you think. But no one thinks like that anymore. Everybody's doing it now, Pastor Joe. Oh, well, then if everybody's doing it, it must be okay. Sorry. Someone said, and I remember, how many people remember the bus tickets back in the day where you used to catch the bus, you used to pay a fare, and they used to give you this little ticket? On the back of the ticket, there used to be some sayings. Anybody remember that? It used to be, yeah, well, the, well, the 50 plus year olds are, yeah, yeah. It's what I read on one of them. It was one of, I read on one of those tickets. What is popular is not always right. And what is right is not always popular. I never forgot it. What is popular is not always right. And what is right is not always popular. Our world is governed by natural laws. And those natural laws don't change because the majority don't agree with them. The Bible says, The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Fourth way that we could be guided by, or that we determine what we believe is right or wrong, is we can be guided by how we feel. This is, the, this is like relativism, but its focus is centered around how we feel about certain things. The motto is, if it feels good, then it must be okay. How can something that makes you feel good be so wrong? How can something that makes me feel happy 
actually be wrong doesn't make any sense. The problem is sometimes what makes me feel good may not make you feel good. <laughs> like stepping on your toe. <laughs> stepping on your toe, and I'm just using that as an example, but stepping on your toe makes me feel amazing. <laughs> but it may not make you feel very, very good. And then we've got some problems. Finally, some say that what determines right and wrong or the determinants for what is right and wrong is wired up inside of us. Let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. They say, well, if it feels right within yourself, then it's, then it's got to be okay. It's got to be truth. Just if it feels okay, you know, if you've just got a peace about it, it must be good. Experience tells us that there are some people who can do terrible things and not care one bit about it. Evil things. Just look at history and look at some of the atrocities that have been done throughout history where people have felt very comfortable doing some of those things. Bible tells us, uh, it talks about people whose conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. In other words, their conscience has become so hard that they can't tell right from wrong anymore. They, 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 their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. It no longer has any sensitivity. They can no longer feel. I remember... Uh, many years ago, I worked at Coroma, praise the Lord, making toilet seats, hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, one of the jobs I had was filling the machines with plastic, and machines were always hot, and the plastic was always hot, and over about a year, all my fingers became really hot. I couldn't feel anymore with my fingers. I couldn't feel anything, because they'd become hard. Um, and for some people, their conscience is like that. Yeah, people often ask the question, Pastor Joe, what's the sin against the Holy Spirit? The sin against the Holy Spirit, people are scared. Oh, I'm scared, Pastor Joe. I've si I think I've sinned against the Holy Spirit. I'm scared. No, if you think you've sinned against the Holy Spirit, you haven't sinned against the Holy Spirit. To me, the sin against the Holy Spirit is where the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we resist the Holy Spirit. Every time we resist the Holy Spirit, the next time it becomes easier and easier and easier and easier and easier and easier to resist the Holy Spirit until the Holy Spirit speaks. We can't even hear the voice of the Holy Spirit anymore. Our conscience has be, become seared. It's become hard. The Bible calls it that deception. It's amazing. And one of the marks of the end times is going to be deception. People that are doing what is clearly wrong... Uh, but thinking that it's okay. How, how can we think, even as a society, that some things are okay? It makes no sense to the mind. And yet, that's what's happening in the world. And we need to be careful of, of, of deception more than ever. Well, this brings us to ask the, the next question, which is, so how should we as Christians form our convictions? And the answer is really simple. We base our convictions on the word of God. Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, great book, uh, appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show one day, and he asked the studio audience to close their eyes and point north. And when they opened their eyes, there were arms pointing everywhere. 
And then Mr. Covey pulled out a compass and said, this is how we know which way is north. And the reality is we need something outside of ourselves which doesn't change, which shows us the truth, which always shows us the truth. And God has given us a compass, which is the inspired word of God. Charles Swindle says, news articles may inform us, novels may inspire us, poetry may en enrapture us, but the only, only the living, active word of God can transform us. Timothy Keller says the Christian faith requires belief in the Bible. If you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends you, if you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, you'll have a God of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship with, that, that you can have with. We live in a world where everything is changing. Fads change. Fashions change. Every single year they change. And just getting used to slim jeans? No, now they're going white, aren't they? <laughs> just when I'm finally catching up? No, now they're going to change everything. Psychology changes, science textbooks change. There's only one thing that never changes, and that's the truth of God. It was true a thousand years ago, it's true today, and it shall be true in a thousand years from here. Because truth doesn't change. And if we're going to have strong convictions, they need to be based on a foundation of God's word. The Bible says in Isaiah, the grass withers and the flowers fade and the governments change and ideas change, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God is truth and it stands despite the seasons and the times we're living in. Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip us to do every good work. If we're going to run the race that God has marked out for us, if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, we need to be people of conviction. We need to be people who understand truth and put our faith in that truth. Where do we get that truth from? We get it from the word of God. God said to, uh, those, God said to Joshua, he said, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Don't turn from the word of God. Don't, don't, don't try and create your own versions of the word of God. Don't, 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 try and, don't, don't try and make gray what God has determined to be black and white. There is a lot of grey in the Bible. I'm, 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 I'm okay with grey. I'm not going to argue about whether Christ is going to return during the tribulation, before the tribulation, outside of the tribulation. I've got no clue. Believe whatever you want. I know Jesus is coming back. Can I hear an amen? But don't make grey what the Bible has determined as black. Don't make grey what the Bible has determined as white. Don't turn to the left or to the right of it. Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you shall be prosperous and successful. And by the, word, by the way, those words prosperity and success don't refer to riches. It can be, but it's not what it's referring to. It's referring to doing the will of God for your life. It refers to running the race that God has marked out for you. 
I've circled a few words. It says, do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. I circled the word mouth. That means speak the word of the Lord. Something very powerful about speaking God's word. I've circled the word meditate. And that, is, that means think about the word of the Lord. And then I've, I've, I've circled do. Don't just talk about it and think about it. At some point, you're going to need to do the word of God. That's what James says. James says, well, you know, don't deceive yourself. Just because you've heard it, it doesn't mean you're doing it. The Christian, the basis of our convictions is the word of God. And if we're going to be everything God has called us to be, if we're going to run the race that is marked out for us, there needs to be one foundational conviction that we need to be sure of. We need to be convinced the Bible is the word of God. Not the Bible contains the word of God. Not the Bible makes some good suggestions. The Bible is the word of God. And what's interesting for me is that the number one conviction under threat in the modern church is our belief about the word of God. We live in an era where the church is no longer convinced the Bible is the word of God. Commandments are suggestions, principles are opinions, long-held beliefs are being viewed as outdated and irrelevant. I don't know how to say it more clearly, but if we're going to run the race, we need to be a people of conviction. We'll allow the principles of God's word to influence our thoughts, our speech, our decisions, our actions. Which brings me to the third thing I want to do quickly. I want to give you some of the convictions that have guided my life. Started with 20, I was going to do 50. And then I thought, they're going to, they're gonna, they're gonna like, you know, leave <laughs> halfway. Uh, narrowed it down to 20 and then 15 and there's, there's tons more. But he, here's a few of some of the convictions that have guided my life, that I believe can guide all of our lives. First conviction is that God is sovereign. Number one conviction, God is sovereign. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, either you believe that to be true or you don't. But if you do believe it to, 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 to be true, it's a powerful conviction to guide you through your life. It means that God is the creator. It means that God is above every circumstance. It means that no power is greater than God. Nothing happens in the world or my life that he does not know about. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. Can I hear an amen? It's a conviction that says God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. There is no power greater than God. It's a powerful conviction that guides me. It's a, it's a conviction that protects me, that when I think everything is out of control, that when I, when, when I see evil people that seem to be prospering and my brain starts to get a little bit confused about, God, where are you and what are you doing? I'm reminded of the fact that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That he is above every circumstance. That he is above every situation. He knows exactly what's happening in the world right now. And he's, 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 he's not surprised by things that happen. He wasn't surprised by COVID. He wasn't sanitizing himself. He's, he didn't get the vaccine. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> he knew exactly what was going on. It's a conviction in your spirit. It's a conviction in your spirit that guides you. It's one of those big convictions that says, no, God is the creator of the heavens. I settled that a long time ago. I don't understand everything there is to know about God, but I know he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. 
Number two, God has a plan for my life. We are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus, do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, great scripture to memorize. That means that I'm not an accident. I'm not here by chance. God has created me. God has a purpose for my life. And God has given me gifts that I can use to serve his purposes. It's a conviction in my spirit. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. If you're breathing, it means that God has a plan for your life. It's a conviction in your spirit. It's a truth. It's a belief that guides my life that says, wait a minute, there's more to my life than what I think in my own brain and my own head. I was created for purpose. I was gifted. God has a race marked out for me. I want to know what that is. I want to live in that lane. In the name of Jesus. Number three, Christ has forgiven me. If we confess our sins to God, He's faithful and just to, to purify us from all unrighteousness. It means I am forgiven. Not I might be forgiven, not I could be forgiven. I am forgiven. Even if I don't feel like it, even if my brain doesn't tell me I am, the Bible says I am forgiven in the name of Jesus. That if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and He is just and will forgive our sins and purify them from all unrighteousness. Only the little ones though. All sins. He took my guilt and shame. But before God, I stand righteous. I, I, I don't stand before God guilty. I stand before God righteous because of His righteousness. And I am saved. Not I might be saved, I could be saved, I hope I'm saved. I am saved. In the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has sealed salvation into my spirit. I, 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 don't, I don't wonder about it. I don't think about it. I know <laughs> that I am saved by his grace and for his glory. God loves me. Number, number four, I've got to run. First John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Now we should be called children of God. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. You're, you're a child of God. That means that God loves me, wants to bless me, wants to pour out his favor on, on me. He doesn't treat me like my sins deserve. He's the God of all grace. Should have written it differently. God loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to pour out his favor on you. He doesn't treat us like our sins deserve. He's the God of all grace. It's a conviction in my spirit that says God wants to bless me. He wants to bless me. He loves me and he wants to bless me. Now, I know so many of us have grown up in an environment where maybe we don't feel loved, where we haven't been accepted and where, where, where we haven't been affirmed and blah, 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 blah. It's kind of wired up into our system. I don't care what's wired up in my system. What I care about is what is the truth of God's word. And God loves me and God loves you. And he, he has accepted you and he has accepted me. We are accepted in the beloved, says the word of God. And, and, and it's a conviction that guides us as we pray. Oh, God blesses everybody else. Everybody else is blessed. God loves everybody. He doesn't love me. Well, that's a load of rubbish. It's a lie from the devil. It's a conviction that says, God, God loves me. He cares about me. And he's going to bless me. Number four, the power of prayer. I sought the Lord, says David, in Psalm 34. And, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I believe that when we pray, coincidences happen. Things change in my life. Clarity comes. Truth is revealed. Prayer moves the hand of God. Pastor Joe, do you really think we can move the hand of God? Well, you know, my Bible tells me we can. 
Hezekiah, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, Hezekiah, get your stuff in order, you're going to die. He walks away. Hezekiah falls before God and begins to pray. Oh God, Isaiah's not even outside of the door. Go back and tell Hezekiah, he's got 15 more years. It's the power of, Pastor Joe, that doesn't make any sense to me. What happened to God is sovereign. I'm just reading you the word of God. Why, why do we have to complicate the word of God? The Bible says, we're going to look at this next week, the secret things belong to God, the things revealed belong to you and to me. What has God revealed? He's revealed the power of prayer. It's a belief in the power of prayer. As a church, we had a prayer meeting last Wednesday night. Why did we have a prayer meeting? Because we believe in the power of prayer. Number six, man, the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the Corinthians, if anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are the mysteries by the Spirit. I'm convinced when I pray in tongues, I tap into a deeper spiritual realm. That the Holy Spirit prays through me. That the Holy Spirit builds me up. That through prayer, truth is revealed. Can I hear an amen? For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but speaks to God. Behold, they speak mysteries of the Spirit. It's powerful. I have a conviction in my spirit about speaking. I understand all the theories. I understand all the different opinions. Praise the Lord. But I believe if you buy the shoes, you get the tongues. They come with the shoes. I have a conviction about it. In the name of Jesus. Believe the word of God. Number seven, that God's word is truth. God's word speaks to me. That God's word has the power to defeat every work of the enemy. It's a weapon. The word of God is a weapon. It's the sword of the spirit that when we speak the word of God, it, has a, it is powerful in the spiritual realm. And it has the power to change how I think. and how It has, a, it has the power to rewire my brain. It has the power to rewire the neural networks in my brain. Those neural networks that have been established by life and life experiences, the Word of God has the power to rewire my brain that when I confess it and proclaim it, my brain starts to think differently. It's the power of the Word of God. Believe in the church of Jesus Christ. Believe in the power of coming to church, being planted in the church. I believe that when two or three gather together in Jesus' name, something can happen. I believe in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that there is a protection over my life because of the church of Jesus Christ. I believe, number nine, that sin can destroy my life. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit and put to death the misdeeds of the body, you shall live. Believe that sin can destroy my life, that the consequences of sin is eternal separation from God, that my life is lived better when I follow the principles of God's word. It's not God is a killjoy. He's the God of life. And he says, here's the, here's the way to do it. Joseph said, how could I do such a wicked thing? And sin against when when Joseph was tempted, he had a conviction about sin. He had a conviction about the word of God. And he said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? Number 10, the enemy is defeated. Isaiah 4, 54, 17, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. I believe the enemy is real. I believe the enemy wants to stop me from running the race marked out for me. But I also believe that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Can I hear an amen? 
I believe suffering has a purpose and we know that all things work together for good for those who love the God. I believe that not all things are good, but God can work good in all things. Believe that God can use the worst times in my life for his glory. I believe in the power of giving. I believe in the power of giving to the work of the Lord, especially tithing. The Bible says, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, then your barns shall be overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Not sure if you knew this, but as a church, we don't, just, we don't, don't accept tithes as money. We also collect fresh produce, uh, especially now. Um, sorry, that was a joke. <laughs> That's what the Italian congregation believes. Every now and then I get some stuff left on my desk, a bottle of oil and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's outstanding. Uh, number 13, let's move right along. Uh, I believe in the power of humility. I'm convinced that humility is one of the most powerful virtues that we can seek after. Pride is going to destroy my life. Humility is going to help me to be everything that, that God has called me to be. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives abilities to those who walk in humility. So humble yourself under God's mighty hand. that He may lift you up in due time. Number 14, I believe in the power of being in the will of God. No better place to be than in the will of God. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And number 15, I'm called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. No greater joy than leading people to Jesus Christ. And I could give you so many more. If you want to run the race that God has marked out for us, if you want to be everything that God has called us to be, service purposes begins with vision. And secondly, we need to be people of conviction. Many people have seen the story. I'm going to take an extra five minutes. Many people have seen that example that they, they got the jar and they got the big rocks, you know, and the teacher puts the big rocks in there and says, is the jar full? And the classroom goes, yeah, it's full. And then he gets the small rocks and then he throws them in and is the jar? Yes, it's full. And then he gets sand. Is it full? And then he gets water. Here's the thing. This is the picture that I got in my mind. Um, get the big ones right first. In life, get the big ones right first. Get, get the big rocks in the right place. The big convictions, get them in the right place. And then the little ones will take care of themselves. And then your life shall be full. Get the big ones right first. And the rest will take care of themselves. I love, I love Daniel. I just love, I, I love that, that, that example from Daniel. Da Daniel had a conviction about God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Worship the Lord God only. Commandment number one. He had a conviction about that. And that conviction, that big conviction, the big rock, influenced what he ate and what he drank. When we get our convictions, the big ones in the right place, it affects everything we do in life. Even the little decisions that we need to make. If we're going to be people that God has called us to be, we need to be firmly convinced about certain truths. Convictions that influence every area of our lives. How do we build the convictions? We build it on the Word of God. And secondly, we build them on a person. And His name is Jesus. And today as we break bread, we're reminded that we base our convictions on Jesus who said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. We don't base our convictions on a myth, a fable, a story. We base them on a person, Jesus Christ, a person who lived amongst us, who died on a cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead. Apostle John was an old man and he's writing from prison and he says this about Jesus. From the very first day we were there, taking it all in. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying, it's not a myth. It's the truth. And you can experience it by giving your life to Jesus Christ. In a world that's changing, shifting, there are some things that don't ever change, some truths. And his name is Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And when you base your convictions on his word and on Christ, you will live out the life that God has called you to live, a life that is full to the brim. You will experience life and life in abundance. That's the will of God for you, and that's the will of God for me. We're going to sing a song. Remain seated. and ask the brethren to distribute the emblems. I want you to hold them in your hands. And in a few moments, we're going to take communion together.